Whatever our beliefs, whether we're Christians, atheists, agnostics, Muslims, or anything else for that matter, every single one of us believes something about God. Even if our belief is just to disbelieve in the existence of any God or any higher power, we still believe something about who that God is and what he is like. And these ideas really do affect every other aspect of our lives. Western Christians, especially of the evangelical persuasion, will readily agree with this statement, as I suspect pretty much would anyone who has completed an intro to philosophy course. What we believe shapes how we live. And this has created a problem, again, for many Western Christians, especially of the evangelical persuasion. Among many, there is a tendency toward a kind of anti-intellectualism, an allergy to words like theology. Many don't read the book that is supposed to be most important to them, that is, the Bible, on any consistent basis. Many don't see why the truths that we profess to believe actually matter in our day-to-day -day lives. How they shape not only how we live, but how we feel. And instead, we're formed ethically, emotionally, and spiritually by podcasts, memes, infotainment commentators, pretending to be journalists, social media algorithms, conspiracy theories, you name it. Even The Bachelor plays a role in that. Now again, regardless of your beliefs, whether you're a Christian, an atheist, a Buddhist, or something else entirely, hopefully what I just said makes sense to you. Because if it does, you'll probably find that it helps to explain this weird picture that you might have of Christians, particularly American ones that you get from the media. People who seem overly concerned with self-preservation and self-interest. Uh, people who are self-obsessed instead of being known for a denial of self, of a real and lasting concern for others that's rooted in God's concern for the people that he's made. And while that's probably a bit of an oversimplification, it's not entirely inaccurate. It's what happens to a Christian who is disconnected from the truths that undergird his or her faith. That person is like a train trying to travel without a track, or a Nashville driver attempting to make their way up 65 whenever it's anything other than sunny and bright out. It's a disaster. Now, the answer to this isn't as simple as saying, well, Christians just need to learn more theology, since this is a problem among many self-proclaimed, highly theological groups, too, including ones that I travel in. Instead, we need to learn to reignite the relationship between the truths we confess, the actions we take in the world, and our emotional life. To not only focus on the head or the hands, but to deal with our hearts, too. And one of the books that might help? Knowing God by J.I. Packer. What's your favorite book? That might be a hard question for you to answer. I know it is for me. I've been surrounded by books my whole life. I spend hours digging around in new and used bookstores hunting for something that interests me or a copy of an old favorite that's disintegrated from use. So when I try to answer a question like, what's your favorite? I have a hard time because I don't really have one favorite. I have many and I'm still discovering new ones. Maybe you're like me and you've always loved reading and are on the hunt for something new to dive into. Maybe you're someone who struggles to read consistently and you're looking for a book to help you start. Whatever the case, I want to help. So 
I'm going to tell you about one book that I enjoy, whether it's fiction, current events, spiritual formation, history, or something else entirely. But whatever kind of book it is, the goal is the same, to help you find a new favorite or maybe rediscover a familiar one. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and this is your next favorite book. Born in Gloucester, England in 1926, J.I. Packer was a devout Anglican, a professor, and a leading voice within the UK and later the global evangelical movement alongside John Stott and Martin Lloyd-Jones. These three, whose influences are still widely felt on both sides of the Atlantic, were deeply committed to strengthening orthodox commitment among Christians, especially against the counterclaims of what is often called theological liberalism, uh, which rejects the truthfulness of the Bible and Jesus' divinity, among other essential truths of the faith. And they saw that their contemporaries and the next generation were being conformed to this modern spirit, which Packer described as one that, that, quote, spawns great thoughts of man and leaves room only for small thoughts of God. But it wasn't just this modern spirit that they saw that their contemporaries were captivated by. They also saw that they were confused by a sort of modern skepticism that abandoned all idea of a unity of truth and with it any hope of unified human knowledge. So it wasn't just that humanity was at the center of everyone's thoughts. It's that we couldn't really know anything that was true. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Packer had already written several well-received books, including Fundamentalism and the Word of God, a book that incidentally feels right at home in many of the endless debates around the Bible that we have today. When he was approached by the editors of Evangelical Magazine to write a series of articles to reorient Christians around, away from the modernist spirit and modern skepticism and to help them see the beauty and majesty of God in Scripture— those articles were eventually compiled and edited and published together as Knowing God in 1973 and became one of the most influential Christian books ever written and selling over one million copies in the years that have passed since its first publication. We'll be right back. You know, my whole life, I've loved movies, music, and especially books, and chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you likely feel the same way. I was a voracious reader at every stage of life, but when I became a Christian in my mid-20s, I had to ask, how should my newfound faith relate to my reading? And for that matter, how should it affect every area of my life, my relationships, my work, how I treated people who I might disagree with? And that's on top of learning the, about the habits that would help me grow in my faith, like reading the Bible, prayer, and being part of a Christian community. Learning about what it means to live as a Christian isn't easy, especially if you don't have any familiarity with it at all. That's why I wrote, I'm a Christian, now what? This book is a guide 
helping new believers walk through some of the big questions that will come up in their early weeks, months, and even years as a Christian. And so it covers everything from what exactly happened to them, what the Bible is, how to pray when it seems weird, and what to look for in a Christian community. But it also addresses how to handle disagreement in a distinctly Christian way, untangling the mess of sex and marriage, and even how to engage with things like music, movies, and yes, books. People who have followed Jesus for a long time will also benefit from this book because it will help them to see the opportunities they have to serve new believers like these, new believers like I was, helping them to develop a strong foundation for their life with Christ in meaningful and practical ways. I'm a Christian Now What is available to order now. You can find it anywhere you buy books, including Amazon, Christian Book, Barnes & Noble, or you can order it from your favorite local bookstore. With 22 chapters spread over three sections, Knowing God is designed to help readers know about God, his nature, his being, and the purpose of theology proper, that is, the study of God, as well as knowing God intimately through his attributes, his character, his love and compassion for us, and to consider how we respond to him. Critical to all of this, even apart from Packer's theological assertions in the book, is what it means to know God. And there's a real sense in which this is the most important aspect of the entire book. Knowing God is not simply a matter of knowing facts about him any more than um, it would be knowing facts about Uh, our significant others, or a best friend. We can know things about them, but that doesn't mean that we know them. And so Packer describes knowing God as an act of humility, of acknowledging that we can only know God to the degree that he allows us to know him, and through the means by which he makes himself known. And that's all the more amazing when we begin to grasp that in doing this, to quote Packer again, that God is actually opening his heart to you, making friends with you, and enlisting you as a colleague. He continues, It's a staggering thing, but it's true. The relationship in which sinful human beings know God is one in which God, so to speak, takes them on to his staff to be henceforth his fellow workers, citing 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, and also personal friends. And so as Christians read the Bible, we do so expecting to hear from God in its pages, receiving what he says as the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it. And we likewise note God's nature and character as the Bible and his works reveal it. And we accept his invitations and do what he commands. And we recognize and rejoice in the love that he has shown us in approaching us and drawing us into a relationship, into fellowship, to friendship with him. All of this, Packer explains, is what it means to pursue knowing God. And so as you can imagine just from that, this book is not a light read. What I've shared thus far hasn't even taken us beyond the third chapter. But even though it's a heavier read, it is a good one, and it's a necessary one for Christians of all stripes. It's a reminder, a call back to the truth that there isn't a magic formula to know God. There is no secret source of knowledge to pursue. It all comes from one place, the Bible.
Now, by the time I read Knowing God for the first time, I had been a Christian for maybe a couple of years. And I'd actually read a few different Christian-oriented books already, and including one by Packer called 18 Words, which is outstanding. So maybe we'll revisit that one together in the future. While there were some standouts in those early years, most of those books that I read, honestly, they were pretty forgettable. They weren't the sort that stick with you. But from the first pages of this one, I knew it was different. This was one of the first Christian books that I read that left me with a true sense of awe. Packer's insights into the central pursuit of the Christian life, not simply knowing things about God, but knowing God intimately, are a great gift to Christians and are a gift to me as as a person. That distinction is the key to everything that I've been talking about to this point. Because, again, it's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to just have a whole list of facts and to be theologically astute any more than it's enough to just obey God's commands and not know anything about him at all. We need to know him. We need to let what we know about him sit with us so that it affects our hearts. We need to bask in his revelation, his self-disclosure of his nature and character, his plans and purposes, everything that he invites us to know. Now think about that. What would our lives look like if we did that? What would be different? Perhaps we wouldn't be so easily swayed by the nonsense that we find on social media. Perhaps we might not be hoodwinked by entertainers masquerading as journalists. Perhaps even people would see us in the way that they're actually longing for and looking for in so many other things. Perhaps they would see people who are kind and compassionate and who are pursuing good and righteousness and justice in all the world for all people, upholding the dignity of every human being regardless of what they believe. And maybe they would see that this God that we profess to believe is actually real and that believing in him really does change our lives. Knowing God is probably the most intellectually engaging and challenging book that I ever recommend to people. And it's not because I don't read books for very, very smart people. Um, And that's not me saying that I'm a very, very smart person. It's just I read a lot of different kinds of books. But anyway, it's that when I read this one and every time I read it, I can only read a few pages in a sitting before I have to put it down and ponder and maybe write a few notes in a journal or consider what is said in it in light of scripture. It's rich and weighty stuff, best read over a long period of time, and that's because few books are as worthwhile and faithful to God's word as this one. And if you have never read Knowing God, even if you're listening to this and maybe not even a Christian, I hope you will pick this one up and that you'll get started on it today. And if you own it, that you'll start reading it again and try to look at it with fresh eyes and have your vision for God renewed and refreshed. 
And as you do that, you will see why this is one of my favorite books, and I hope that it will be for you as well. Your next favorite book is written, recorded, and produced by me, Aaron Armstrong. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you're subscribed on your preferred podcast platform and leave a five-star rating and review. This goes a long way to helping people find the show. You can also find a link to order a copy of the book featured in today's episode in the show notes. And be sure to check out my book, I'm a Christian, Now What? A Guide to Your New Life with Christ, everywhere books are sold. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next time to introduce you to what might be your next favorite book.